Welcome to the Environmental Justice Report with Janine Moloff. I'm your host and producer, Janine Moloff, and we're going to be talking about environmental justice issues of the day. We're taking a little bit of a departure tonight because, you know, this is in the aftermath of the presidential elections, and it's safe to say we've never seen an election season like this one before. Rarely have we seen such skullduggery, and we have never seen a losing presidential candidate refuse to concede and refuse to even consider the will of the people, such as Donald Trump has done. So even though we talk about environmental justice on the show, and that is our, you know, our raison d'etre, our reason for being, um, we're going to talk about general ideas of justice because you can't have environmental justice if you don't have overall justice. And this tonight we're dealing with the idea of horse race reporting and how it has affected not just this election but several elections, and not for the better. So tonight, post-election. I'm going to discuss the deleterious effects that horse race reporting, or what they call horse race journalism, has on elections and on democracy itself. You see, there really can't be any justice if the journalism of the day cheapens itself by providing little more than a handicapping scorecard for the high-stakes rollers of the political class. Now, while the gambling shamans, such as dual sports and political commentator Nate Silver, build careers off this horse race mentality, the public is simultaneously denied substantive substantive coverage of pressing issues. We can't maintain any semblance of a democracy if we have an electorate that is basically woefully misinformed or uninformed on important issues. So this political horse race reporting has been around for a while. It's not new. Um, it's basically been around since the 1970s, and it's been replacing that necessary substantive coverage of important issues since then, since the 1970s. And the GOP comeback featuring an entire coterie of what is, in my opinion, liars and useful idiots, culminating in the tragic elevation of Donald Trump, has been in, in large part, a result of the, the spiraling down of horse race reporting and how it's replaced any real discussion of major issues, of substantive issues, and of, of officeholders' records. Okay? They, when they make a statement, and fact-checking, it, it just, I'm tired of this nonsense, all right, that, okay, we have to have fair and we have to have something that's balanced. And so uh, it just doesn't work, okay? So a Trump, president, a Trump presidency, in my opinion, could not have occurred without this horse race reporting that replaces actual journalism. So, again, I call this the Nate Silver effect because he is the top dog in this issue. And, again, for many decades, the mainstream, a.k.a. corporate media, have treated national elections for Congress but especially the presidency as a horse race to be gambled on. And like any horse race, there are those who gamble on who might win, and they use a system called handicapping to improve the chances that they will call the race winner, thus beating all other comers. Now, there are also those who accuse this method to be a manipulation of the public. 
uh, engineered, excuse me, to increase wagers and affect the outcomes. Now, when horse race experts push certain candidates or even repeatedly mention certain possible outcomes, the wagers or bets either increase or decrease dramatically as far too many people love the idea of backing a winner. Such horse race political reporting not only manipulates the public, but it is frequently used, as I said just now, to replace substantive reporting on major issues that we must be discussing. And it's replaced with this brain-dead horse race. Horse race reporting, or the Nate Silver effect, does a, a, a dire disservice to journalism and essentially to democracy itself. So today we're going to look at this phenomenon. Now, as I stated a few minutes ago, the king of horse race reporting is statistician Nate Silver. Now, Silver is an expert on statistical analysis and baseball. He's not any sort of expert on the important policy issues of the day, and his elevation to official political commentator on ABC News constitutes, as far as I'm concerned, journalistic malpractice. But here's Nate. So Nate Silver, he's a statistician and writer. He analyzes two things, elections and baseball. He's also the founder and editor, editor, excuse me, editor-in-chief of 538. Okay, that, that's his, his site. He's also a special correspondent for ABC News. Now, he gained re public recognition at first for developing a system called Pocota. And this system forecasted the performance and career development of Major League Baseball players. He sold that and, you know, and then managed something called Baseball Prospectus from 2003 to 09. So Silver was then named one of the world's 100 most influential people by time in 09 um, because he successfully predicted the outcomes in 49 of 50 states in the 08 U.S. presidential election. And that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But I question the importance. So what if he predicted the outcome? That's after the fact. We needed substantive information. And, you know, I, I used to, before I did this broadcast gig, I used to, and still do occasionally, publish um, written work. And I had a couple of editors that mentioned Nate Silver to me. Here I was writing articles on substantive issues, and they said, well, you, know, you can't say that. Look at Nate Silver. You know, he's predicting the winners. And I said, that has nothing to do with pressuring the candidates to have responsible actions and the responsible plans for important issues of the day. It just doesn't. And, um, you know, once again, Nate Silver, bravo. I, I don't care about that. What I do care about is the fact that he then was elevated to an ABC um, political commentator, even though he really doesn't know much about policy. He's not a policy wonk. He's not a historian. He's not an attorney. And frankly, we need to have these meaningful dialogues, not basically have a statistician act as a political bookie and take up all the airtime with that nonsense so then the politicians don't have to answer the hard questions. And that's why we're in this mess. And both parties are guilty of it, you know, but still the Republicans have really run with it. So, ironically, 538 failed to, and Nate Silver failed to anticipate Donald Trump rising and 
entering the Oval Office. They gave him a 30% chance of victory. So, you know, once again, um, 538 has won Webby Awards for Best Political Blog. That's nice. Except this is a horse race reporting that's not discussing issues so that he could win Webby Awards for a Best Gambling Blog, but it shouldn't be a Best Political Blog. Because once again, this is reducing important political discourse to basically handicapping who they think is going to win. And then the politicians of the day get to evade those tough questions that affect all of us. So in 13, Silver sold 538 to ESPN, and he became its editor-in-chief. Okay? And then... Um, in 14, the ESPN owned 538, um, launched and they, they launched a site and they talked about a bunch of subjects under this idea of data journalism. Now, data journalism can mean so many things, but most importantly, Nate Silver's brand of corporate stenography backed up by statistics only propels the horse race at the expense, again, at the risk of sounding redundant, Substantive coverage of important issues. It doesn't give us the information that we not only require, but we have a right to know. So again, Nate Silver's built a lot of noise, but he's really helped, I'll just say it, he's helped retard the political discourse. So I'm not the only one who thinks this. there are a couple of several researchers that have written about this. And in, in a group called Journalist Resource, um, there was an article published by Denise Marie Ordway in 19 titled, The Consequences of Horse Race Reporting, What the Research Says. And what does this have to do with environmental justice? Everything. All right? Because if we can't discuss the important issues of the day and force these politicians to tell the truth to, uh, I can hear people laughing, but to, to basically base their records, that includes environmental issues, then we can't get anything done. So Ordway's article covered basically what happens when journalists focus on who's winning or who, who's losing as opposed to policy issues. And the, you know, the conclusion was, as I said, voters, candidates, and the news industry all suffer. And this is in a growing body of research, nothing new here. And media scholars have dubbed this the horse race, uh, horse race reporting. And, you know, the idea is they frame elections as a competitive game and they rely on public opinion of polls. Okay, that's fine. You, you can see what temperature people are going, but public opinion polls have their place, but their place should not supersede facts should not supersede um, the truth about politicians' past records, should not supersede fact-checking their claims, and so on and so forth. And this is going around all over the world. Now, there's a professor, Thomas E. Patterson, who's with, he's basically the Harvard Kennedy School Bradley Professor of Government and the Press. And he weighs in, and Basically, you know, he weighs in on the whole idea of Nate Silver, along with many other corporate stenographers, masquerading as journalists, and that he's saying you should pay attention. So Professor Patterson says that, you know, the obvious, we all know this, election coverage 
doesn't delve into serious policy issues. And on the occasion it does, it's done in a very cursory manner, very surface, very trivial, uh, and then relying on public opinion polls as opposed to facts. And we need facts. And the statistics bear it out. Um, policy issues, according to several studies, according to Professor Patterson, accounted for 10%, I'm gonna say this again, according to Professor Patterson, of the Harvard Kennedy School Bradley Professor of Government and the Press, according to Professor Patterson, actual discussion of policy issues in the 2016 general presidential election accounted for 10% of the news coverage. 10%, that's it. And this was part of a research series that Patterson did that looked at journalists' work leading up to and during the election. And the, most of the coverage that Patterson examined concentrated on who was winning, who was losing, and why. To quote Professor Patterson, quote, the horse race has been the dominant theme of election news since the 1970s when news organizations began to conduct their own election polls, uh, end quote. And this is from a, a piece that Patterson wrote in December 2016, a working paper, paper titled, News coverage of the 2016 general election, how the press fa failed the voters. And Professor Patterson went on and said, since then, polls have proliferated to the point where well over 100 separate polls, more than a new poll each day, were reported in major news outlets during the 2016 general election, end quote. This is vile, okay? There's no other way to put it. So there's been decades of academic study, and their conclusion about horse race reporting is the following. They, after decades of academic studies, they found that horse race reporting is linked to the following. One, distrust in politicians. Two, distrust of news outlets. Three, and this is the most damning as far as I'm, uh, as far as I'm concerned, an uninformed electorate. And four, inaccurate reporting of opinion, of opinion poll data. And of those three, to me the most damning is the fact that the electorate is so woefully uninformed and the issues are so dire. Perhaps this is the reason why we still have quite a few people that believe that wearing a mask during the COVID pandemic will do no good. This falls in the same category as people that think global warming isn't really important. And, and, and these are the same people that listen to these opinion polls. When opinion replaces fact, when opinion replaces scholarly studies, when opinion replaces the idea of logical analysis, we're doomed. Now, according to the academic studies, horse race coverage also, quote, was detrimental to female political candidates. And why? Because they tend to focus on policy issues so they can build credibility. Uh, horse race coverage also gave an advantage to novel or unusual candidates. Well, well, Donald Trump, let's face it. If Donald Trump had been pressured and pressed to provide answers on major issues of the day and wasn't allowed to get away with the nonsense tantrums that he does on a daily basis, he wouldn't have been in the Oval Office. Horse race coverage was also found to shortchange third-party candidates, and that's because, again, they're not even in the horse race. They're considered losers, so we're not even going to bother to talk about them. In my opinion, 
Donald Trump could not have catapulted to the Oval Office without this schlock garbage reporting. And that was also an opinion that Professor Patterson came to, and it was part of a paper in Patterson's research series. Again, news coverage of the 2016 presidential primaries, horse race reporting has consequences. Patterson added, quote, the media tendency to allocate coverage based on winning and losing affects voters' decisions. The press's attention to early winners and its tendency to afford them more positive coverage than their competitors is not designed to boost their chances, but that's a predictable effect, end quote. And what they found was that academic studies that were published in peer-reviewed journals that, and that investigated the real-life consequences of horse race reporting from multiple angles. They included several studies, and what they found, that this really does affect elections. And the question in my mind is this. Is horse race reporting manipulating our elections in favor of corporate candidates who despise democracy itself? My other question is, how much responsibility does horse race reporting bear in the disastrous administ and criminal administration of Donald Trump. It's something we need to consider. Now, in communication research in 2018, Alon Zoisner published an article, The Consequences of Strategic News Coverage for Democracy, a Meta-Analysis. Now, Zoisner is a researcher out of the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. And in this study, Zoisner, he basically analyzed 32 studies that were either published or released between 1997 to 2016. And these were studies that examined the effects of, quote, strategic news coverage. And Zoyser, he, he basically identified strategic news coverage as the following, quote, coverage of politics that often focuses on politician strategies and tactics, as well as their campaign performance and position at the polls, end quote. And this is a, as opposed, I'll add, to actual issues and policy records, which the voters have a right and a need to know. Now, the main takeaways in Zoyser's study is that this type of reporting really does heighten public cynicism towards politics. And in my opinion, maybe that's one of the goals. It's a fact. It's been found through many studies that greater cynicism leads to voter disengagement and then voter apathy and then voters just not bothering to vote. And let's face it, that benefits corporate candidates each and every time. Now, Zoisner was quoted as saying, quote, in other words, this coverage leads to a specific public perception of politics that is dominated by a focus on political actors' motivations for gaining power rather than their substantive concerns for the common good, end quote. Now, Zoyser's study also said that young people are really susceptible to this type of reporting, and in part, and for, not just young people, in part because they don't have as much experience. So if this is their only experience with politics, uh, you know, it has, a, it has an impact. Uh, Zoyser wrote, quote, they may develop feelings of mistrust toward political elites, which will persist throughout their adult lives, end quote. So basically, Zoyster confirms that this horse race reporting also leads to a sadly uninformed electorate. Okay? To quote Zoyster, this finding erodes the media's informative value because journalists cultivate a specific knowledge about politics 
that fosters political alienation rather than helping citizens make rational decisions based on substantive information. Framing politics as a game to be won inhibits the development of an informed citizenship because the public is mostly familiar with the political rivalries instead of actually knowing what the substantive debate is about, end quote. Now, another key finding was that strategic news coverage, according to Zoyser, also damages the reputation of various news outlets. Um, Zoyser explained that people that have been exposed to this type of horse race reporting, quote, are more critical of news stories and consider them to be less credible, interesting, and of low quality, end quote. Zoyser went on to say, quote, strategic coverage will continue to be a part of the news diet that in parallel will lead citizens to develop higher levels of cynicism and criticism, not only towards politicians, but also towards the media, end quote. So it basically backs up my theory that this is really, it leads to political cynicism, which results in uh, political apathy and then disengagement, and then people don't bother to vote. And this is very damaging. So now we have Harvard's Professor Patterson again, and again on this horse race reporting. And um, this was how, um, you know, how this gave Donald Trump an, an advantage in 2016. You know, how horse race reporting gave a woefully inferior, not just candidate, but an inferior person with zero political experience an advantage in 2016. We have to go back and think about this. Yeah, Trump supposedly was an outsider. But think about it for a second. He never held any elected office, and then he plops down in the presidency. This is not a beginner's hour, and it was a very dangerous turn of events. So basically what Professor Patterson at Thomas E. Harvard Kennedy School found was that nearly 60% of election news analyzed during the 2016 election cycle focused on the election as a competitive game. Trump received the most coverage of any candidate, at least within the Republican sphere, and the press gave him more coverage than Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. To quote Patterson's findings, Quote, the media's obsession with Trump during the primaries meant that the Republican race was afforded far more coverage than the Democratic race, even though it lasted five weeks longer. Okay? The Republican contest got 63% of the total coverage between January 1 and June 7, compared with Democrat, the Democrats' 37%, a margin of more than 3 to 2, end quote. That tells it right there. They reduced Course race reporting reduces coverage of important elections and important issues to tabloid gossip. You know, we knew Donald Trump was a creep. We really didn't need to know the details. We needed to know what was what were his policy stances beyond just these brain dead slogans. So Patterson's paper really looked at this in detail. They looked at the proportion and the tone of coverage for both parties and their candidates, and they looked at it during every stage of the primary campaign. And Patterson also noted that the structure of the nominating process kind of lent itself to this horse race 
type um, uh, structure. Uh, to quote Patterson, tasked with covering 50 contests crammed into the space of several months, journalists are unable to take their, mo- their eyes or minds off the horse race or to resist the temptation to build their narratives around the candidate's position in the race, end quote. You know, that's because they're chasing a story, in my opinion, but it's not an excuse. Okay, we get the kind of government and the kind of journalist, journalism that we deserve. We have to demand, demand better. Patterson also explained that horse race journalism affects candidates' images and can influence voter decisions. To quote Professor Patterson, quote, the press's attention to early winners and its tendency to afford them more positive coverage than their competitors is not designed to boost their chances, but that's a predictable effect, end quote. That's pretty damning right there. Patterson went on to say that, ele- that primary election coverage is, quote, the inverse of what would work best for voters. In other words, the, the reverse. Quote, most voters don't truly engage the campaign until the primary election stage. As a result, they enter the campaign nearly at the point of decision, unarmed with anything approaching a clear understanding of their choices. They are greeted by news coverage that's long on the horse race and short on substance. It's not until later in the process when the race is nearly settled that substance comes more fully into the mix, end quote. And that is wrong. Okay, it's wrong on so many levels. How can we pick political leaders, especially a president, when we don't know the issues? We, we don't know their positions on the issues. We don't know past decisions or past records. We don't have time to do some really meaningful fact-checking in depth. We can't. So this goes on and on and on. Um, Part of it is the role of chain media, corporate media. The truth is, again, in my opinion, if you want to hear or read some genuine journalism, you have to go to the alternative media. And yes, I favor on the left. You have to go to places like ProPublica, The Intercept, um, Project Censored uh, out of Sonoma State University for environmental issues, the Smog Blog and 350.org. These are the places where you're going to get some meaningful reporting, truth out. Um, Rob calls op-ed news. You will not get it on the corporate media. You absolutely won't. You will get a brain-dead, dumbed-down version that will do you no good. So now there was a study published in in the journal Political Communication in 2015, and it was done by Johanna Dunaway and Regina G. Lawrence. And the title was, What Predicts the Game Frame, Media Ownership, Electoral College, and Campaign. I'm sorry, Electoral Context. Let me say it again. The article they published in in the journal Political Communication is, is titled, What Predicts the Game Frame, Media Ownership, Electoral Context, and Campaign News by Joanna Dunaway and Regina G. Lawrence. So the study found that corporate-owned um, media and large-chain newspapers were predictably more likely to publish stories that did the horse race reporting thing. Okay? No shock there. Uh, the researchers, Joanna Dunaway is an associate professor of communication at Texas A&M University, 
and Regina Lawrence is an Associate Dean of the School of Journalism and Communication, Portland. They looked at print news stories about, elect, about gubernatorial elections and also U.S. Senate elections in 04, 06, and 08. They analyzed 10,784 articles that were published by 259 newspapers between September 1 and Election Day of those years. And within their examination, they found that privately owned large chain publications also behave in a way that's similar to publications controlled by shareholders. And to quote Dunaway and Lawrence, quote, we expect public, we expected public shareholder controlled uh, news organizations to be most likely to resort to game frame news because of their tendency to emphasize the profit mo motive over other goals. In fact, privately owned large chains are slightly more likely to use the game frame in their campaign news coverage at mean levels of electoral competition, end quote. So once again, no shock there. Um, we also found there's gender bias because female politicians are hurt by the focus on the horse race. Um, there was a book written by uh, Meredith Conroy titled Masculinity, Media, and the American Presidency, published in 2015. Meredith Conroy is an associate professor of political science at Cal State University, San Bernardino. The book is titled Gender Bias in Mainstream Media. And what Professor Conroy found is that horse race coverage hurts uh, women, uh, female politicians more than men. And the theory is that women really try to talk more about issue positions because they're, try they're trying to prove their, their credibility. You know, so you, in my opinion, you could say this is a, a, um, a byproduct of just our societal misogyny overall. You know, female politicians have to prove over and over again how, how overly competent they are, which means talking issues as compared to their main male counterparts. And um, to quote Professor Conroy, quote, the election coverage neglects the issues. Women may miss out on the opportunity to assuage fears about their perceived incompetency. And also, she also said that, quote, when news neglects substantive coverage, the focus turns to a focus on personality and appearance. Uh, and then said, quote, an, an overemphasis on personality and appearance is detrimental to women as a further delegitimizes their place in the political realm, more so than for men whose negative traits are still often masculine and thus still relevant to po politics, end quote. And it's true. Okay, you know, you will see competent women that will be downgraded because maybe they don't look like a fashion model. Okay, you look at powerhouse Katie Porter, who in my opinion should be the Speaker of the House. I mean, she grills those people. But again, she's not in the media that much because, you know, she doesn't look like, um, you know, Tulsi Gabbard, okay? And it's ludicrous, you know, or you'll have, um, you know, women, you know, being asked about their hemlines and their hairdo. And, you know, a lot of female politicians feel the pressure to not sound aggressive. And again, this is my own opinion, if it were me, I think I'd do the teacher thing and I would just tell them, excuse me, I'm here to discuss issues. And my personal appearance um, is really just irrelevant. So 
you know, we're not going to discuss those stupid questions anymore. But again, that's my my own personal take. All right. So now, if somebody trying to call in, it's not going to happen. Now we have another study, and it's titled "Contagious Media Effects: How Media Use and Exposure to Game Frame News Influence News Influences Media Trust." And it's by um, let's see now, David Nicholas Hoffman. Adam Shahada, Jesper Strombeck, and it was published in Mass Communication and Society in 2015. The question is, quote, how does framing politics as, as a strategic game influence the public's trust in journalism? And this was done in Sweden. And they, basically they suggested that Swedish news coverage um, that's of the horse race type thing really lowers trust in all forms of journalism except one, tabloids tabloid, you can call them newspapers, um, which is, it just shows you that, you know, if you have a race to the bottom, people will not, um, they will not, uh, they, they will, they will meet, meet you at the bottom, okay? They won't, dis- they won't uh, disappoint you. So the authors were quoted as saying, quote, by framing politics as a strategic game and thereby undermining trust not only in politics, but also in the media, the media may thus simultaneously weaken the incentives for people to follow the news in mainstream media and strengthen the incentives for people to turn to alternative news sources. And that was David Nicholas Hoffman, his quote, and he's an associate professor at the University of Southern Denmark, Adam, and, and as well as Adam Shahada, who's a senior lecturer at the University of Gothenburg, and Jesper, Jesper Strombeck, professor at the University of Gothenburg. So there's no shock in any of this. And then we have here a piece that was written by Benjamin Toff in the, um, the journal Journalism in 2019 titled, The Nate Silver Effect on Political Journalism, Gatecrashers, Gatekeepers, and Changing Newsroom Practices Around Coverage of Public Opinion Polls. And this was a study, and it was, they did some in-depth interviews with 41 U.S. journalists, media analysts, and public opinion pollsters. And it documented changes in how various news media outlets cover public opinion. And it revealed, among other things, quote, evidence of eroding internal newsroom standards about which polls to reference in coverage and how to adjudicate between surveys. And that was from the author. Toff is an assistant professor at the University of Minnesota's Hubbard School of Journalism and Mass Communication. And Toff dubbed this, he what Talk recorded actually what one reporter that he interviewed called the Nate Silver effect. Okay, and journalists and polling professionals are both, according to the study, really kind of concerned because journalists don't really have much training a lot of times on poll quality. Okay, so they rely on these poll firms and their reputation, and they don't really know how to analyze the poll sampling design and other details of the methodology used for the poll to come to these various conclusions. I'm aware of it because in another life, I was a speech language pathologist, so I know statistics, but that's not always the case. And what Toff found in these interviews between October 2014 and May 2015 is that advocacy organizations can take advantage of a situation, and what they do is they get reporters to 
to disseminate their me- their various biased messages, and the reporters are doing it kind of unknowingly because, again, they can't analyze whether or not a poll is designed in a legitimate fashion. And this is how voters are manipulated. And, you know, once again, there's a lot going on here that is just not working for us. We have a right to legitimate discussion of substantive issues, and it's not happening. It it just doesn't. Um, So going back to Professor Patterson at Harvard, um, he, again, wrote a series on this subject, and we're going back to this original coverage, the original article, news coverage of the 2016 presidential primaries. Horse race reporting has consequences. And I can't say it enough. It does have consequences. This is not harmless. All right? This is replacing really important substantive reporting. Okay? We used to talk about issues. We no longer have that. Instead, it's about who do you think is winning? Who do you like? Why do you like them? Honestly, when you go to a doctor, do you pick a doctor because, oh, I like them and, and have no worry about whether or not they have no experience? I mean, think about it. When we are going to vote for these politicians, especially for president, we're hiring somebody. And the idea that the electorate hired somebody as incompetent and really unprepared as Donald Trump it is vile. But, again, going back to Professor Patterson, you know, I, I, you know, I kind of went off a little bit here. You know, once again, he analyzed the news coverage of the presidential primary races in 2016 and looked at how it affected the candidates' chances of winning a nomination. And it concluded that coverage of the primaries focused on the horse race over the issues, as we said over and over again. And, you know, the report again picked up several other things, including the analyzed coverage of Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, John Kasich, Hillary Clinton, and Bernie Sanders from January through June 2016. And Patterson investigated the following questions. I'm going to read them verbatim. Quote, why did Trump receive so much more coverage than the other presidential candidates? And why was his coverage positive in tone when the Republican race was still being contested and yet negative in tone after it had been decided. Two, why was Rubio's coverage so much more negative than that of another unsuccessful Republican contender, Cruz? Three, why was Clinton's coverage substantially more negative than Sanders, and why did Sanders get so much less coverage than she did? And four, why did the candidates' character and policy positions receive so little attention relative to candidates' chances of winning? And it's that question that is, again, the most damning. I'll repeat it. Why did the candidate's character and policy positions receive so little attention relative to the candidate's chances of winning? We should never be reducing our political elections to a sports race. We just shouldn't. We're talking about how we're going to live in a society and we've reduced it to, to the trivial. Now, Professor Patterson, again, he's with the Harvard Kennedy School Shorenstein Center on Media, Politics, and Public Policy. 
And the Shorenstein Center study is based on the following. An analysis of news statements by CBS, Fox, the Los Angeles Times, NBC, the New York Times, USA Today, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post. The study's data was provided by Media Tenor, which is a firm that specializes in, quote, the content analysis of news coverage, end quote. It's a long study. I'm, I won't have time to get into all of it. But those are very important questions. And I'm looking at a table right now, and under coverage topics, it showed that percentage of coverage, coverage as a competitive game, 56%. Coverage as a campaign process, 33%. Coverage of substantive concern, 11%. And then we wonder why we have such horrible people in D.C. Okay? Why? It's not a mystery anymore. So there's a lot more data here, and I'm not going to be able to get to it. I really wanted to make sure that you guys understood how really detrimental to the idea of our democracy, to our system, to our right, maintaining our rights, the horse race reporting is. So in conclusion, horse race political reporting has dominated political journalism since the 1970s. It is to our detriment as any semblance of, albeit an anemic democracy, to allow such sloppy reporting to continue. It results in a citizenry woefully unable to identify and understand actual substantive issues of the day. Horse race political reporting also helps to create an overly cynical American public, and that cynicism is what contributes to the political apathy we see among younger, unaffiliated voters. This apathy, once again, works to support the GOP and their racist, misogynist, anti-worker policies, since it, is, since it is the possible GOP opposition that might not bother to vote. We saw this in the low voting numbers that resulted in 2016. Now we have the, what we call the Nate Silver effect. Nate Silver's not a hero, not at all. This is the situation. Political polling and statistical analysis, which is legitimate for campaigns to use for strategic purposes, but it's been abused to manipulate the public, just like political, as political bookies, like Nate Silver, handicapped, if you will, the horse race. Now, while Nate Silver cannot be blamed for this situation, it is his elevation to political commentator, which is obscenely ludicrous. Nate Silver's only political expertise is handicapping the race, which, again, is the equivalent function of a bookie giving stacked odds on a rigged race. Instead of Nate Silver pontificating with statistics, the media should be demanding answers to tough questions on actual issues of the day. The media should be fact-checking and challenging politicians on their claims when the evidence looks contrary to campaign statements. And in an Internet age, a couple of clicks, you have your answer in five short minutes or less. A democracy relies on an informed citizenry to survive. None of us can accurately assess what politicians have done or not done when we're being deprived of this very discussion. Yet that's exactly what horse race political reporting has done. This disservice hurts all of us as it denies the public a right to know the issues and have those 
who run for office grilled on their records. Instead, we have a system that values get candidates' chances of winning as opposed to their fitness for high office. And Donald Trump is the poster boy for that accusation. Never before have we put in high office someone so incompetent, in my, someone who is, in my opinion, so incompetent, in my opinion, so morally depraved, and in my opinion, so thoroughly psychologically unbalanced. And finally, in my opinion, somebody who I suspect has no allegiance to this country, to the Constitution, his only allegiance is to himself. We deserve journalists who will not only ask the difficult questions, but demand answers from anybody. Demand answers, ask those difficult questions, fact check in detail, and yes, again, demand an explanation. As opposed to the present acceptable, unofficial system of skilled obfuscation and lies. So that's the big report. Now we've got our little segment for a few more minutes, and that's the one, is it an environment, well, in conclusion, first of all, before I get to the environmental, political, hero zeros, villains, or question marks, all of this has a lot to do with environmental justice because it deals with our legal system. And if we don't know what's going on, there is no way that we can hold the people in power accountable for all sorts of issues, whether it's civil rights, voting rights, or whether it's issues of environmental justice, including who serves on the courts. So that's why I did that report today. It's something that has not been discussed enough in the media, and we need to hold them accountable. All right, so now we're going to our environmental heroes, zeros, question mark, villains. And this one is a political villain. And we're going to be talking more about it on the Justice Report on Sunday, which I do on PNN, Sunday evening. This is dealing with the state legislators, legislatures that are controlled by the Republicans, by the GOP, and that they're, some of them are considering overthrowing the vote and appointing GOP electors to the Electoral College um, to please Donald Trump. So, in the, And this is something people think, oh, it's not going to happen. It could happen. So in the Detroit News, there was an article written by Craig Mauger and Melissa Nonberg, and it was just today, and the, the headline is, Top GOP State Lawmakers Set to Visit White House amid election fight. So in Lansing, there's the, the top, top two Republican leaders, the Republicans control the Michigan legislature. They're supposed to visit the Oval Office tomorrow, Friday, and that's according to a source. And the, the names of these people are Senate, GOP Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky, who's a Republican from Clark Lake, and House Speaker Lee Chatfield, who's a Republican from Levering both in Michigan. Keep in mind, Michigan is the state where these white supremacists, neo-Nazis, came brandishing weapons, threatening the governor, and nothing happened to them. Okay. So they're going to talk to Trump because Trump refuses to concede. And this, what's really happening is this. When people vote for the popular vote, we have a winner-take-all system. Okay, and whoever wins, like in Michigan, 
Biden won. So he's going to get all their electoral votes. And then there's two dates. I think one is December 8th when they, all the slates are decided or the electors that go to the electoral college and actually elect the president. But it's still supposed to reflect the popular vote. And then on the 14th, they actually make the decision. Well, here's what's happening. Uh, U.S. Rep. Paul Mitchell, who's a Dryden Republican, um, said, what, uh, said that he expected Trump is bringing Shirky and Chatfield to the White House to try and pressure them to appoint pro-Trump electors as opposed to the electors that the public voted for. Okay, so when you... So basically, these electors are supposed to, the Biden electors are supposed to cast their votes. So basically what's happening is Trump is trying to pressure these two Republicans that are in charge of the Michigan State Legislature to overthrow the public presidential vote and appoint Trump loyalists to totally disregard the public vote and put Trump back in office. This is so vile, it's beyond belief. Now, these two men have claimed that they're not going to do that. Okay, again, their names are Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky in Michigan and House Speaker Lee Chatfield in Michigan. And I believe they should be held accountable. Um, Michigan Governor, who's a Democrat, did blast the, the trip. Okay, but this is tantamount to Trump performing election tampering. It's a felony. And the fact that these two Republicans are going to talk to him is vile. That shows a conflict of interest, in my opinion, on their part. They should have refused. They should have just told him, sir, I'm sorry, we have to abide by the law. Now, my opinion very simply is this. It's easy to go after Trump. But if you really want to stop Trump, we have to go after his enablers. That means... Not only that means going after people like Senate Major, Michigan Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky and Michigan House Speaker Lee Chatfield, and have maybe the Michigan Attorney General serve them a little reminder that they either abide by the law and respect the public will, or they'll face criminal charges. And somehow I don't think they will go to jail for Trump. We need to pressure these people. Furthermore, since the Electoral College, which is an obscenity, still exists, we have a right to know the names of all the electors. That's my opinion. Put pressure. Call the Michigan State Legislature. Do not let them get away with this. There's more to it, and I will be discussing this in more detail on our Sunday show, our Sunday Justice Report. But I want, this is basically a, a, a set of villains. You know, these two men have said they're going to abide by the public vote. Okay, fine. Then why do they need to go to the White House and discuss something like this with Donald Trump, who is a known liar, a proven liar, a proven cheat, a proven thief? Why? Even the appearance of impropriety should have stopped them. And that's what happened. Okay, so Michigan Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky and Michigan House Speaker Lee Chatfield should be put on the spot 
they should have turned Donald Trump down and said, no, sir, we can't meet with you. We shouldn't even talk to you. We have a duty. It's legal, and we're going to fulfill it. And if not, then we need to bring criminal charges against these men. That's it. It's that simple. We have a few minutes left. And, you know, once again, we have such fragile liberties here. And we won't hold on to them unless we fight for them. And we know that we can't count on the machine-centrist Dems to fight for us. They're too cowardly. They won't. We need to hold them accountable, all of them. And that means keeping the fight up. Right now, I am less worried about who Biden might put in his cabinet. I'm more worried about making sure that Trump doesn't basically tamper with the slates of electors that are supposed to go to Biden. And people think, oh, how could that happen? It could happen. Okay? Colleague Greg Palast has spoken about it. Again, we will be covering this on Sunday, and I hope that you tune in because this is an important report. The only way we will protect our rights is if we fight for them. And it's that simple. So we have about six minutes left, but I'm out of everything. I'll just say good night. This has been the um, the Environmental Justice Report with me, Janine Mala, and I look forward to meeting with you all and talking again next Thursday night. Good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.